the Gospel lesson is written in the second chapter of Matthew, beginning at the seventh verse. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he'd ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of Christ. The Christmas season is characterized by joy, a gladness that the light has come into the world. God has taken on human flesh in this newborn babe. Now it's January. Most of us have taken down our Christmas decorations. Our nativity scenes have been put away. If your nativity sets like mine, Mary and Joseph prayerfully attend Jesus in rough-hewn surroundings. Shepherds come to the manger, sheep by their sides. The magi, and maybe a camel or two, rub elbows with the shepherds. What a crowd. Now, having the shepherds and the wise men in the same place at the same time makes no sense in terms of scripture. But we do not usually dwell too much on that. The world into which Jesus was born was brutal, immoral, and power-hungry, and it was filled with injustice, pain, and grief, just like the world today. Yet at his appearing, the angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
on the night of the birth, it's all about joy and wonder. Everyone's happy. Shepherds hear the good news and see his glory. Often in art, the body of the infant Jesus, the light of the world, literally glows, illuminating the night. And then time passes. What starts out as a story of light is overwhelmed by the darkness of this world. When the wise men or magi arrive to adore the Christ child, shadows hang in their wake. Matthew 2.1 clearly tells us that the magi have come after Jesus' birth. The scripture's not specific on how much time has passed, but there are clues. This is no manger scene with a baby in the hay. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are still in Bethlehem, but now they're staying in a house. That's in Matthew 2.11. The Magi actually go into the house, finding Mary with Jesus, and there they bow down and worship him. Back in their homeland, the Magi had been clued into the birth of the king by an astronomical sign, a rising star in the sky. They prepare for a journey to find him. These wise men come from the east, probably Persia, and they will travel hundreds of miles to get to Bethlehem. Preparations, and then the trip itself take a while. And if you put all this together and think about it, you can see that the Jesus they visit is probably not a newborn, but instead a toddler. These wise men are nameless, and we are not told how many of them there are, but they bring three extravagant gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their most significant characteristic, though, is they are non-Jews. This is where Gentiles first join the worship of Jesus. Now, I know that you are used to seeing three magi adoring the Christ child. That's not in scripture. It's an artistic convention, which probably derives from the three gifts they bring. They've traditionally been shown of three different ages, young middle-aged and old, and also of different races. Uh, This underscores the universality of the coming of Christ. He's come for all the world. Whether the Magi numbered two, three, or 20, their visit is the moment the story changes gears and the theme changes from glorious to ghastly. At the heart of this story, there is weeping, pain, and grief. Here's the problem. Before they come to see Jesus, the Magi have stopped by Jerusalem, blabbering about a new king and seeking directions. Herod clues in. A new king has been born in Bethlehem. So the shadow of King Herod lurks behind this pretty scene. Herod does not see good news in the birth of Jesus. He sees a threat to his power, obsessed with rumors of a rival toddler king. He orders the unthinkable. 
Every boy child, age two and under, will be killed. Visualize Herod's soldiers fanning out across Bethlehem and its vicinity, kicking in doors. The soldiers swiftly kill a child and then move on to the next house. Imagine the clamor, the terror, the aftermath. Mothers crouching in corners, a hand over the mouth of a treasured infant, lest a cry give away their hiding place. Innocence slaughtered. Throughout Bethlehem, the screams of violent death and mourning. How many boy children die on that day because Herod wanted to do away with Jesus. The scripture does not say Bethlehem was a small town. Perhaps it was a few dozen dead babies, their blood on the stones of narrow lanes and in the homes where they played. A few deaths in a brutal world. It happens this way often. But the writer of this gospel wants us to remember this massacre of innocence. This is the reality that surrounds the birth of the one whom we worship, the one of whom we sing each Christmas, the child who is not slaughtered on this day. The child we're thinking of has been safely transported to Egypt, but back in Bethlehem, uncounted other sons, helpless children, are dead. Embedded in the story of Jesus' birth is the senseless death of babes. We weep and we shudder at the blackness of this world, then and now. The next thing I'm going to say is important. Our tears are seen. The sound of our weeping is heard. Comfort has come in the babe-sized delight. Kept safe in Egypt so Herod's troops cannot kill him as a child, Jesus is protected because a greater suffering will come. The star of Bethlehem is so often drawn in a way that it reminds us of the cross. The light comes into the world with a purpose. At Christmas time, we smile pondering the tender moments of Mary at the manger. But that time will pass and it will eventually turn to a moment of torment when Jesus, tortured and shamed on the cross, speaks. Mary's so close to the agony and the flow of blood, she can hear his words as he says to the beloved John, Behold your mother. And we do. In our minds, we behold her. We're transported across the millennia to witness the darkness and pain. We see into the scripture as Jesus' mother, her soul pierced as her son's side is pierced. And Mary weeps because the child she treasured hangs lifeless on a cross. 
But all things are being made new in this death. For in her son, death, the thing we too weep over, is overcome. Death is overcome. This is the hope and the comfort we seek to know there is true light in the midst of this dark world. All the horrors that Jesus will endure are because of the brokenness and sin around us. And let's be clear on this. The darkness of this world is not just something outside of ourselves that we must endure. That darkness, the stain of sin, is in us too. Yet in all our unworthy brokenness, our Lord still loves us through a sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus pays the price for our sin. So December's over, and here we are in January. We had joy for a moment in the birth of the light of the world. Now that light looks like a tiny flame in the darkness. We might wonder why the gospel writer doesn't just let us enjoy the light. Well, the truth is that darkness envelops this world Only when we recognize how immensely black the darkness is do we see the glory of the light that shines through it. Only when we recognize the pits of despair in the darkness do we understand the reason he came. He did not come to bring us warm fuzzies in a joyous Christmas holiday. He came to wage war on sin and death. He came to give his life that we might live. Despite the suffering, despite the slaughtered innocence, we rejoice in Christ. He's done what's impossible. He's turned death into life. Today we're still bound to this fallen world, living in its darkness, Yet we have seen the light. And so we wait for the time when we will stand tearless before his glory. We wait, continuing to weep for pain, but also singing for joy. Amen.